The Daily Tap is live for June 21st. It is a Wednesday. Hope everybody's doing well. We are providing a guide to watching the NBA draft without a first round pick for the Milwaukee Bucks. We're going to talk about all the things you need to be paying attention to for the first round, get you ready for the NBA draft, which is Thursday, not next Thursday. Uh, someone might have said that on Monday's show. We're going to do three things to know about the Milwaukee Brewers. Big win against the Arizona Dimebacks. And then lastly, we are going to bring back the Wisconsin Trotsky. Something I've done in the past where we just take a few national topics, blend them together like a shot, and talk about them in a in smaller detail. So I have a few things on deck. Todd Graves' jello shots, the Cincinnati Reds, and Aaron Rodgers at a psychedelic contest. That, or, uh, or conference, excuse me. That's like three different kinds of shots. That's like a Rumpelmintz, that's a Jameson, and that's a Jaeger. Uh, so getting a lot of different shots here on that shot ski. Before we get going, just a reminder, follow us on social media, Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok, that Instagram page, man. I gotta, I gotta work on my IG strategy. I think Instagram, when they pretty much suppressed reels, uh, that was that was always tough, and I, I've yet to really bounce back. So if you have any ideas, uh, always shout us out. Uh, make sure that you are following along. Make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast on Apple, on Spotify, Overcast, wherever else you get your podcast. We are there. If you are already subscribed and you want to help out the show, make sure you leave a rating or a review. I can tell, I always can help out. If you leave a rating or review and you have a question for me or you have feedback, I will always be more likely to listen. All right. Let's get started with a guide to watching the first round First round without a first rounder for the Milwaukee Bucks. We're also going to probably talk a little bit about the second round too, by the way. The first big thing is will the Bucks get involved in the first round? Will the Bucks find their way to the first round of the NBA draft? Meaning, will they make a trade? And I think a lot of Bucks Twitter would tell you that they want a trade. They want to move into the first round. This is a very good draft. Uh, so it's a it may behoove the Bucks to get a first round talent to get another person to pair with Marjan Bochamp in terms of the young Bucks, the next generation of Bucks basketball. It also helps with the roster construction. It helps with the salary st- salary stuff, and there are you know it, there's a lot of reasons to like having a first round pick if you are the you are the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, I don't know where that pick could be. It uh, could be in the late first round. And so there could be guys that are available, such as a Jaime Yaquez, who I love, who I think would be an awesome addition to the Milwaukee Bucks team, um, or even a Derek Lively if he fell, um, would, would see him as sort of a Brooke Lopez replacement. I don't think Lively is ready to play year one, but he could be ready to play year two, year three, and so on. I mean, and, and not to say uh, to to my own horn, but your boy had a had a bunch of people that he liked last year when the Bucks had a first round pick, and they all turned out pretty well. Like I'm not saying I'm Murph here with the NBA draft, but I like Jalen Williams for Oklahoma City. He was awesome. I liked Christian Braun, who obviously was a big part of of Denver winning a championship. I liked Walker Kessler, who was damn near rookie of the year. So like, I've I've kind of had a good view of this. Now, I haven't studied the first round as deep as years past because Bucks don't have a pick, right? And and that's part of the reason. But if they were to move into that first round, I do think the Bucks could get a guy that would be similar to Bochamp in terms of can contribute year one 
and be someone who you're building the next generation of Bucks basketball. And that's the challenge that the Bucks face themselves in. Do you run it back with the guys you have or do you sort of reset the deck? There are a lot of Bucks fans that want to reset the deck with trading Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday has the most trade value out of anybody. Chris Middleton doesn't have as much because of all the injuries. And I think he's so tied in with Giannis that I think it's really hard to leave the family there. Giannis, or Chris, excuse me, met with the owners. He met with people, you know, as the coaching search happened. So if Chris is doing that, you would assume that Chris Middleton is not going to leave the Milwaukee Bucks. Chris Middleton's probably gonna opt out today, by the way, so don't freak out about that. If you freak out about that, you are casual. Uh, but anyways, I, I, I do see there's an opportunity for the Bucks to move in the first round, whether it's trading Drew Holiday. I think Bob Portis is another guy that could be dealt, and that could be another you know option to get the Bucks into the first round. Trading Grayson Allen's another way that the Bucks could get into the first round. You know, Maybe it's Grayson plus Bobby to get into the early or the mid first round. I don't know if just Grayson Allen will get you into that first round, but then remember the Grizzlies got into the first round by trading trading the Sixers for Melton last year. And so I, I think Grayson Allen's on that same same level. So if the Bucks could do that, I think that would be great. I think there are teams like the Hornets, for example, have a ton of picks in this in this draft where you could pick them off and say, all right, hey, can we do a deal here and give you one of our guys, two of our guys, and get a first round pick in return or a second round pick in return. I think that would be really beneficial to what the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, kind of future looks like. I think there's a difference, and we'll talk a little bit more about the second round, but there's a little bit of a difference with the 45th pick in the draft versus the 58th. Like there's a lot of guys in that 40 to 50 range that I really like, that I, I watched a lot this year and I, I was really impressed with. And so, and maybe I'm a little bit clouded because I, wa I probably watched a little more college basketball this year because of the success of Marquette. But still, I, I think there are guys in that 40 to 50 range that could be really helpful for what the Bucks are doing next season. Moving on to number two, will Boston make a big step forward? So if Boston trades Jalen Brown for the fourth pick or something like that, or they trade for Zion Williamson, or they make some significant move here that basically changes what Boston looks like going forward, it's a huge talking point for Mitch and I on Thursday when we're reacting after the first round because that sort of resets the deck. That sort of resets the, the mindset. And it seems like every team in the Eastern Conference, and I would even include the Heat in this conversation truly, are not happy with their team, right? Like maybe happy is the wrong word, but they're just like, there's work to be done. There, there are adjustments to be made. Boston fans are already out on Malcolm Brogdon. It's been one year. Like we fucking told you so, by the way. Uh, anyone who was like, oh, Malcolm Brogdon, Malcolm Brogdon, this, like, this is exactly why Malcolm Brogdon is not a winning player. It's it's pretty clear. The guy just he cannot stay healthy. There's a reason why the Bucks did not sign him to a long-term deal. They were justified in that deal. They will never get credit for turning down the restricted deal that Malcolm Brogdon put on the table from the Indiana Pacers. The Bucks deserve so much credit for that. They will never get it. And it's so frustrating, you know, in retrospect. So they, they, Celtics fans know that. Celtics fans have talked about, you know, potentially, you know, Marcus Smart moving on from him or moving on from Jalen Brown and more so Smart than Brown. But it seems like the Celtics aren't happy with where they are. So if they make a massive leap forward, like Zion's the, the biggest leap in my opinion. 
I definitely think we have to have a conversation. We have to figure out, you know, are they, you know, better than the Bucks? Have they, you know, taken that step forward where like, all right, this team is, you know, well equipped to be the best team in the Eastern Conference next season. I think it would it would actually take a lot. I think the Bucks are still going to wear that crown, but you never know. I mean, NBA season, NBA, you know, off season is always crazy, always unexpected. And I, I do think the Celtics are lurking. I, I just don't know in what capacity. Like if the Celtics trade Jalen Brown for the third pick and they get Brandon Miller back and then they, they now have Brandon Miller and Jason Tatum, it's a pretty scary one too. And yeah, it's gonna take some time for Brandon Miller, but maybe you work with Smart and you figure that out. Now could Smart be a two for a little while while Miller gets acclimated to the NBA? I, I don't know. I, I really don't. Um, I think that's a that's a tough tough thing to to you know to evaluate, right? Uh, but I do I do think Boston is very much lurking. Number three is what the Heat do at, at eighteen. It seems like people think the Heat aren't going to keep this pick. It seems like the Heat are going to move on from this pick. Maybe if they were trade they were to trade Dame trade for Dame Lillard or they were to trade for somebody else. I actually don't know why the Heat wouldn't keep the 18th pick. First of all, I feel like the 18th pick, that's a nice spot to be in because you get guys who might fall a little bit. I also think that you have a roster that's a little tight in terms of construction. Like you have a lot of contracts. You have Hero, you have Robinson, you have Jimmy Butler, like Bam Adebayo. Like it, you you might have to move some of those guys and have adding a rookie scale to your Roster construction seems to make sense. So I don't know why people think the Heat might move on from this, but there are definitely guys that would scare me. Like Derek Lively, who I mentioned, I know he didn't really have that great of a year at Duke, but the guy's a true shot blocker. He might be ready already defensively. You had him plus Bam, and that's a really tough front court to deal with, especially if you're Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like that makes it a lot harder for the Bucks if Lively were to fall. Uh, Jaime Yaquez feels like heat culture all the way. And Jaquez is another guy who I really look at and say, okay, that could be a real problem on what my what Miami does. And he's a shooter, he's a scorer, and could really, and, and just a gritty defender and very much plug and play off the bench right away year one. Now, Leonard Miller was another guy I saw mentioned for the heat. I'm not as excited about Miller coming from G League Canada, uh, but... I would just assume if the Heat are drafting somebody that he's, that he's going to be good. It's rare that the Heat have misfires. And so they drafted Bam right around the spot. I think they drafted Bam 16th. Uh, so, you know, they could get another guy that could match that production. And, and yeah, that's, that's a scary, scary thought for the Miami Heat. But maybe they move up. Maybe they use Hero to move up. They clear that roster and they're able, they're able to draft somebody even better. That would, I, I think, be kind of a, of a nightmare. To, to have a team that was in the NBA Finals last year have a top 20 pick, it seems to be kind of underrated. Like, I, I don't feel like we're talking enough about that. And that's, that's part of why I do think the Heat you know, might ascend to that third spot in the in the Eastern Conference. I know, kind of bungled that on Monday. Uh, I did a bad job when we were talking about the NBA. Uh, but the Heat, I feel like, have that ability to be right there with the Bucks and Celtics. And the Sixers are, you know, I wouldn't even say a distant force. I think they're right there. I don't expect the Sixers to make any sort of noise, though, when it comes to the NBA draft. Number four is, will the West get all three top picks? So the top three, and then it falls off, as you all know, is Wembenyama, it's Scoot, it's Brandon Miller. So right now it seems like the East will get one of those guys. Likely Charlotte getting Scoot Henderson. Uh, 
Now that would obviously add, you know, some excitement to Charlotte. I still think Charlotte is not like suddenly a playoff contender with Scoot Henderson. I think it helps, you know, rebuild the the Charlotte sort of team. And if they see that Scoot, you know, becomes a fan favorite and sort of becomes, you know, the next generation of Hornets basketball. But I feel like the Hornets have had so many resets in their franchise. Uh, they are a sneaky, tortured franchise. They they have not had a lot of success. But if Scoot looks like the next guy, then you could probably trade Lamelo in February and get a bunch of picks back for that and reset the deck and work around Scoot Henderson almost in the same sense as the Timberwolves did with uh, Anthony Edwards, like the uh, Memphis Grizzlies did with John Morant. Like I, I feel like it's the same sort of conversation that you have with Scoot if you're moving on from Lamelo. Now you could have Scoot and Lamelo. It's this one-two punch. It's a huge scoring team. Very exciting. A lot of fans get into that. And then you figure out a way to how do you get that perfect rim protector. I don't think that Brooke Lopez would take a handout and get, you know, completely overpaid for a situation like that in Charlotte. That would stun me, uh, to say the least, if he would sell out like that. But if Brooke did, I, you know, you can't be mad, right? You'd take the money. But I, I just, I, I think they would try to get some sort of defender for Scoot and Lamelo. But they're certainly not a playoff team. But it would add another team to think about in the Eastern Conference. I, I think they would go up while Washington, obviously with the Beal trade, would go down. And I, I don't think Washington will have Porzingis. I don't think they will have Kuzma. And it's so weird that Washington's doing this this year because next year, right now, sits as not a great draft for the NBA. And that's, there's no Wembenyamas. There's no, there's no sort of all-time guy. Now, as Ryan Marcello points out, like we do this all the time where we say, oh, this draft's gonna suck. And then when the draft rolls around, we're like, oh my God, we're, you know, we're here. It's similar to the NFL draft last year, right? Like I was adamant that I was like, no, no one should draft any quarterbacks. Like there should be no quarterback drafts in this draft because Caleb Williams next year, uh, Drake Mays next year, Michael Penix, uh, Dar- uh, I think I said Drake, did I say Drake May? I thought I said Drake May. Jordan Travis, another kid from Florida State, uh, Bo Nix. Like there are guys that are gonna be in that NFL draft that are will be ready to roll next year. And no one should have spent a first... I don't think anyone should spend a first-round draft pick. It's going to be hilarious to see if a team who drafted a quarterback last year just goes right back to the well and drafts a quarterback first round this this coming year with the loaded 2024 quarterback draft. And so it's like the inverse for the NBA. It's like, this was so good. So you should have tanked to try to get Wembenyama or Scoot or even Brandon Miller. And now next year, you don't necessarily have that. And so are you... Like, does it matter? Should you be wanting to tank into 2024 NBA season. It doesn't kind of sound like it. All right, a few more, few more things to pay attention to in the first round and beyond for the, the, as towards the Milwaukee Bucks, but also for college basketball, for the state of Wisconsin. There are two, with that, two guys with Wisconsin ties that could get drafted in the first round. Both have been invited to the green room. Uh, Olivier Maxis Prosper of Marquette seems to be that he will be drafted in the first round. He, I've seen him mocked as high as 18th. I've seen him mocked as low as 30th, but it seems like Omax will be going in the first round. He will get a guaranteed contract. It's an amazing ascend for Omax Prosper. Uh, he was a glue guy for, for the Buck for Marquette last year. He did a lot of the little things. He could guard one to five. He He's not always the best shooter. Um, I think that's where people might ding him, but the shooting's there. Like the shooting stroke, he certainly has it. It certainly is one that you can work with, right? 
Uh, he also is a guy who can, you know, add energy, add spark off your bench with big dunks. And he still, you know, he can poke the ball away. He's ready defensively. I think offensively, there's a little work that's needed to be done. But I think if you put him in the lab, you, you have a good team, a good roster around him. I think Omax is going to succeed. I've seen him mocked a lot to the Houston Rockets. Uh, there at 20. Uh, I guess with Udoka now there, I, I think that would be an awesome fit, right? F- especially defensively. And I think he would play pretty much right away. I don't really want him to go to the Heat. Uh, that's a guy I would like to not not have on the Miami roster uh, because I, I do think he has the size. I don't know if he has the size to compete with Giannis, but he certainly has the length to compete with Giannis. Um, and, but I'm very happy uh, for, for Omax. Uh, and I think it's a great look for Marquette. I think it's something Shaka Smart can sell to all these different recruits on Thursday night, Monday, Friday morning. Like, hey, look, we got a guy drafted the first round. Are you the next first rounder for us? And that's sort of the, the kind of the marketing push. And it, it's a very competitive class in 2024 as well as 2025. So I think to have this, you know, especially over, you know, rivals like Wisconsin, like that's a big thing. It's a big deal. Um, UConn and Villanova are both going to have guys go in the first round, uh, but Marquette will as well. And that just sort of speaks to how good the Big East was last season and very happy for Omax uh, as well. Uh, also, uh, Brandon Podazinski, hopefully I'm saying that right, uh, out of Greenfield, went to St. John's Academy, uh, originally started at Illinois, and then he transferred to Santa Clara, uh, and he was great at Santa Clara. Uh, kind of forgotten because Santa Clara didn't really do much. They didn't go to the tournament. I don't, they went to the NIT, actually. I think they got the second round in the NIT, uh, but we didn't really hear much about Santa Clara, but Podazinski lit it up. He was a bucket. Uh, I've seen him be mocked to Memphis uh, pretty much all the, the mocks I've looked at. Uh, it seems like that maybe there's a promise there that he's going to Memphis. Um, you know, he is a shoot first guard. He has a similar profile to me, to what John Morant does. I'm not saying he is John Morant, but he, he can kind of fit, be that plug and play guy for Morant while Morant's on suspension. And that to me is is an interesting interesting one. I, I would not peg uh, Podazinski and Morant as, as similar players, but it seems like draft evaluators have that sort of locked in. So very happy for, you know, the local kid, even though didn't go to one of the schools. That's still, that's still exciting. Like that's still something to champion, still something to be, be fired up for. Um, and yeah, it's great, great to see for both, uh, both Podazinski as well as Omax Prosper. All right, let's get back to some Bucks stuff. Uh, more in the second round now. Should the Bucks move up in round number two? I, I told you guys a little bit earlier in the show that I, I felt like the Milwaukee Bucks should look at you know that, that 40 to 50 range. Like I, I feel like the 40 to 50 range is definitely something that the Bucks should have conversations with. There are guys that I really like in that 40 to 50 range that have been mocked there that I'm like, all right, yeah. Sign me up for any of those dudes. Uh, some of the names include Julie, Julian Strother, uh, Seth Lundy, who the Bucks did have in for a workout, by the way, Adamu Sonogo, uh, Traveria Smith, Jalen Wilson, Charles Badako, another guy that had a workout with the Bucks, uh, and Jalen Clark. Like I like all of those guys for different reasons. Uh, I think all of those guys could provide value to what the Bucks, you know, are doing next season. You know, some of them are more defensive, like Clark and Wilson who don't necessarily have the offensive prowess, but I, I think that's okay. Strother is more on that offensive side of things. Sonogo adds some girth, adds some size, you know, and the Bucks 
really haven't had that backup big. And I do think at 58 or to move up, you do have that opportunity, whether it's Sonogo, whether it's Shibwe who came in for a workout. I think Shibwe would be more of the 58th pick. Now, this would, if Shibwe got drafted by the Bucks, I've been a huge, huge Oscar Shibwe fan. I have said to people that I felt like Oscar Shibwe was going to work in the NBA. I think he is an awesome rebounder. Like, even if just it's rebounding, right? You have Shibwe in there, you know, 10 minutes a game just to pull down boards and just to get like seven or eight rebounds a game. I'm all in on that idea. I'm all in on, on the idea of Oscar Shibwe. Um, because I, I just think he has a, a really talented skill set in terms of rebounding and his quickness can come. Like you can you can get him faster. You, can, you know, put him on a workout regimen, get him a little skinnier, you know, make sure and he has great size and can set screens. And I just don't think that there is the Bucks have have had a guy like that. I think, you know, Serge Ibaka, I don't even think was a rebounder like that. And and they haven't necessarily had that guy who could just be a junkyard dog for you on that second unit. Uh, but moving back, and I kind of got distracted because that's a guy I, I definitely wanted 58, and we're going to talk about 58 here in a second. But I, I, I look at like you know the other guys mentioned, and yeah, those are all those are all to me winning players. Those are all guys who could find their way into the rotation, you know, by the end of the year. And maybe maybe I'm overvaluing their college prowess, and maybe I'm you know overdoing it. Uh, but I, I, I do think that. There, there's talent here in the second round. And we've seen second round talent succeed. Like talk about Nikola Jokic, Michael Redd, if you want a Bucks example of it, Chris Middleton, if you want a Bucks example. Now I'm not saying they're gonna hit all-star levels, but I, I don't think you should sleep on the second round. I think the second round is very good. And so I do think it's something to pay attention to. And I mentioned 58 and I mentioned Chibwe, so I kind of sampled over my last part. Uh, but Shibwe is definitely a guy I love. I like Imani Bates as well. Uh, Imani Bates is was a top prospect. He got compared to Kevin Durant, probably unfairly because he can't really shoot. Uh, but he has an incredible length. He had a little bit of a rap sheet, got in trouble with some guns. Uh, at I think it was at Eastern Michigan or is at Memphis, whatever it may be. Uh, Bates had a, had an issue there. But to me, it's an it's an incredible buy low opportunity. Now, I don't know if Bates will be there at 58 because I think there's going to be a team that sees Bates still there at 45 and says we're going to take him and just you know hope that it works out. Um, I've seen him mocked as a late first rounder. I, I think that would be wild uh, if Bates got into the first round. But you never know sometimes with the NBA draft. The NBA draft, I think, is a little more unpredictable than the NFL draft. Uh, and so who knows, right? Maybe that's a pipe dream to, to think that Bates will be there at 58, but I, I just think that that is a, that's a great sort of bet on talent situation, right? And we've talked about this, you know, the last two NBA finals, you've seen that a guy like Aaron Gordon, a guy like Andrew Wiggins, guys who have been given up on, gave, gave up on, given up on? Yeah, that's the grammatical term. And you just sort of try to revive them and make them into something is really, you know, it's, I think it's a way to build a roster. It's a way to win championships. You've seen it now twice. And I, I think there's still going to be areas of opportunity because people are so quick to sort of give up on people. I know Bill, this is Bill Simmons' whole point on DeAndre Ayton, uh, who could pay you better than Rob Parrish a little bit, which was, I love Bill, but I was like, come on, come on, man. Uh, and I, I don't know if I see it with Ayton though. That's the crazy thing. Like, I, I think there are some guys where it's like, yeah, I, I see it. I just don't know if Ayton likes basketball. And I don't know if Aiden really wants to be there. Like, I think Aiden's cool with just being, you know, kind of average and cool with, you know, just being a guy. 
And that's to me, that's the the part with Aiton that I don't I don't buy in. Like I, I don't buy into that same. I know it's what we just talked about with Bates. And I I think if Imani went to the Bucks, I, I think Giannis immediately takes him under his wing. Giannis immediately, you know, sort of works with him, understands you know where he is and what he's at, and. You know, it's not to say that Imani Bates couldn't be special for the Bucs. And would I trade up for Imani Bates? Probably. If, I, if you felt like Imani Bates was going to go at that 45 range, yeah, move up to get him. Because I, I think he's worth the risk. I think it would add another wing to what the Bucs have. And, and the Bucs certainly need more wings. I think I think to me, that's the those are the areas of emphasis. If you're looking at, you know, what the Bucs could take advantage of in this draft, it's wings, backup big, I don't really see a point guard where I'm like, oh yeah, this guy stands out and he could be, you know, sort of a, a great sort of Javon Carter replacement because I think Javon Carter is going to get paid and I don't think the Bucks are going to be the ones that pay him. Uh, so who's that bag of point guard for you next year? And and I, I don't know if that's something you can immediately plug and play from the second round. That might be a, a late first that you have to pick up, but it, it doesn't seem like it's that heavy of a point guard draft. It seems like it's more of a wing draft, more of a big man draft. Um, and more of a like positionless draft, if you will. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I- I'm excited for it. Uh, good time to tell you guys as well that Mitch and I are going to hop on the pod. Basically, I wouldn't say it's after the first round's over. I think we'd love it to be after the first round's over. Mitch works early. This is a little behind the scenes. So because Mitch works early, we can't do it at the end like Murph and I did uh, for the NFL draft. Uh, but we'll hop on at 9 uh, so whenever that that hap- whenever nine o'clock is, we will hop in. We'll start talking about what we've seen so far, and then if you know, obviously, if the Bucks made any moves, uh, reacting to those, and yeah, going forward, going forward in that capacity. So stay tuned for that uh, on th- for Friday's show um, that we'll we'll do Thursday night. Uh, no no live portion of it. Uh, I wish I wish we were at that level where we're like, oh yeah, we're gonna broadcast that on YouTube and let you guys hang out. Uh, sooner, maybe sooner rather than later, though, uh, on that sort of thing. Let's move on to the Milwaukee Brewers, who had quite possibly the win of the year last year. Maybe it's that's a little bit intense, but they come back from being down four nothing against the Arizona Diamondbacks to win seven to five. They had a three run seventh inning that was really the genesis of that. The Brewers were down five to three at that point. They get seven. They get three runs to give them seven for the game. And that, that was all that they needed. Uh, really strong stuff from the Brew Crew. Uh, the Diamondbacks, who I, I do think are one of the better teams in baseball, really need to fix that bullpen. Their bullpen is a mess. Uh, I would imagine they're going to look into, you know, maybe that one-two punch of Chapman and uh, Scott Barlow of the Kansas City Royals, who I guess can be packaged together. The Royals have said they're open for business. I think if I'm the Diamondbacks, I'm looking directly at that situation and saying we could basically fix our back end. They have a ton of prospects. They are a very uh, prospect-laden uh, organization right now. I think that's the scary thing about both the Diamondbacks and the Rangers. Uh, they have a ton of prospects right now. So it'll be really hard to compete with both teams You know, when it comes to making trades if they are buyers. The Cincinnati Reds, same thing. Cincinnati Reds have now won 10 games. They're like, oh, we're buyers. I, I, would, I actually think Novell Marte could be a guy that teams, teams could get. Uh, because I just don't know where the fit is for Marte, and you could sell that to get a little more pitching on that Reds organization. Uh, but yeah, and we're going to talk about the Reds here in a second, but I do want to stay on the Brewers um, and this win. And I, I think why it's such an important win 
for the Milwaukee Brewers is we haven't had a lot of comebacks this season to that magnitude. And you do it against one of the better teams in the National League. And the Brewers were looking like they were headed to their second straight loss. It looked kind of like all the work you did against the Pittsburgh Pirates was kind of for naught. Now you've won four games on this road trip, or homestand, excuse me. I don't necessarily think today is house money. I think you'd love to be 5-1 and one on this homestand. I think that would be a true statement. Uh, but still, if you were to lose today, I don't. It's not the worst thing in the world to be four and two on a road on a homestand. I, I think you take that every every day of the week. But yeah, there haven't there haven't really been that many good examples of oh yeah, the Brewers came back. Maybe that Kansas City game on the 14th, the Brewers came back and won that one. I'm trying to think if there are other examples where the Brewers that Cincinnati game a little bit on the second was a, another sort of pseudo comeback. But I don't think anything really, you know, sort of is like this one where they came back from being four down. Maybe that Seattle game on, was that that Seattle game they came back and that on the Tuesday or that that's Wednesday. But that was so long ago. That was in April. Like you can't be like, oh, April win of the year. Brewers only down three, four or four, three in that game. Yeah, they were down. They were down two nothing in that Seattle game. They came back to win five, five to three. Uh, but yeah, I mean, great, great stuff uh, in terms of things to know, which we've we've done in the past, and and it's basically a good way to kind of recap the game. Just doing three sort of hot takes, if you will. William Contreras clutch hitter. I, I think we can say that now. Uh, William Contreras seems to deliver uh, when the lights are the brightest. Uh, he's hitting two ninety. In late game situ- late game or close situations, nine overall hits. He has a couple doubles, uh, including the one last night that you know gave the Brewers the lead, as well as a home run. Uh, so that's that's awesome, man. Uh, Contreras definitely needs to stay as that second hitter. I think that's that is the way forward. I understand being a catcher, he's not going to play every day. Uh, you'd love it if he could play catcher, you know, some days and DH other days. Uh, I mean, Victor Caratini has been low-key one of the better hitters on the Brewers roster. So to me, I, I feel like Carantini also should, you know, have a have an opportunity there to play. I don't know if you could put Victor Carantini at first base or Contreras at first base, but to me, like that, that's your optimal lineup. And I do want to do like an optimal lineup for the Brewers. Might do it for tomorrow's show because I, I, I really, I really do think the Brewers have work to do on that lineup. But Contreras hitting second, you know, is a good step forward, and, and he and you, it paid off right away. You know, you have this moment, you know, in the game where you're you're down five to four and you need a big hit. And Contreras delivered. And I, I don't know if Willie Thomas delivers in that situation. Like, I, I love Willie. I think Willie's going to figure it out. But I don't know if Willie's delivering for you in that in that scenario. He did, you know, beat out a uh, potential any 90 double play. So I have to give Willie, you know, some credit there for the hustle. Blake Perkins also had some great hustle in that inning. Brewers really wanted to win that baseball game. And it, it certainly showed in that seventh inning. Uh, second thing, Jesse Winker and Luis Urias, you know, started that comeback, right? Urias has the double that drives in Adamas. Uh, Winker has a home run, two run homers, first of the year. Uh, everybody seems to really like Jesse Winker in the clubhouse. Uh, not that I am surprised by that. I know Winker kind of has rubbed people the wrong way in the past, but you know, Craig Council is like everybody's pulling for that guy. There was a lot of elation in the in the Brewers clubhouse when Winker hit the home run. Makes me kind of rethink Jesse Winker a little bit. I was kind of ready to be done with Jesse Winker. Uh, and he heard the haters, as we like to say on this podcast. Like, he definitely heard everybody talking shit. You know, this is now his second productive game in the last three. So maybe he's warming up. I said in the review 
after after the game, which you can see on Tabitha the Keg on Twitter or Tabitha the Keg Sports on TikTok, that he sort of have maybe he can have an Aramis Ramirez like summer. Uh, but yeah, great stuff there. And if you get production from Winker and Urias or one of the two, that Brewers offense looks far different than they have the last few weeks. Uh, that that would be a huge step forward if one of those, if one or both those guys get hot. If both of those guys get hot, look out. Like that. That's then. That's a different Brewers sort of offense. And we're still waiting on Rai Telez to sort of break back out. Uh, I, I agree with, I think it was someone, I think it was maybe Stern on Twitter, Jake Stern on Twitter, not Howard Stern. Jake Stern on Twitter where he's like, Rowdy's been hitting the ball hard. Uh, and it just sort of seems like it's eminent that he's going to start putting together, you know, home runs, base hits, things like that. We're still waiting on it. But yeah, that's, it's good stuff. Uh, starting pitching. Not been great in the series. Uh, that that's the one sort of drawback so far. Corbin Burns got rocked. We didn't talk about Monday's game because I didn't do a show yesterday. But Corbin Burns was terrible, and that, I mean it was over from the start. Brewers were down six nothing, uh, and they they really didn't have any answers. And then today, uh, Colin Ray was not not very good. I mean he gives up you know four early runs. Uh, was able to sort of stabilize after that. But that just can't happen. And, and I mentioned to you guys on Monday's show that I, I felt like Hauser should have been the guy that stayed in the rotation, not Colin Ray. I understand that maybe Colin Ray can't pitch, you know, in the bullpen, but I don't really know how many more Colin Ray starts I can put myself through. Uh, I just don't, I don't see it with Colin and I don't really know, you know, what the Brewers are doing, you know, in that sort of capacity. So good win for them. Uh, they play the Diamondbacks this afternoon. Uh, jealous if any of you are heading out to that game. Uh, should be a awesome day at the ballpark. Weather's great here. Uh, we'll see if Zach Gallon's road struggles can continue. He's been awesome at home. He was awesome against the Brewers, you know, earlier this year. But he's been trash on the road. Uh, and Julio Tehran, who has not gotten much run support besides last Friday, so we'll see if uh, runs for Tehran can you know continue uh, this afternoon. And we'll definitely talk about it on Thursday's show. Wrapping up today's program with the Wisconsin Schottsky, uh, something we haven't done in a while. Uh, maybe I shouldn't call it the Wisconsin Scott Schottsky because these are all national topics. Uh, just call it the Schottsky. Uh, and it's something that I I do it from time again, uh, where it's like I take three topics and we kind of look at them. They're not necessarily bigger topics. They're stuff that maybe it's just, I would say not worth talking about, but it's stuff that's on my mind that I, I have opinions on, you know, like everything else. Like uh, this might shock you guys as someone who has a podcast, but I have I have opinions on everything. Uh, I, I can give you an opinion on the submarine. They're not featured in this. I can give you an opinion on, I'm trying to think what else. Give me an opinion on, you know, different, you know, sort of styles that are going on right now in the world. But yeah, so let's waste no more time here. Uh, number one, Cincinnati Reds. So the Reds now have won 10 straight games. They beat the Colorado Rockies last night, 8-6. Uh, the Reds are, are playing great baseball. Uh, the Brewers are still uh, behind the Cincinnati Reds in the West, in the NL Central, which is a wild thing to say. Uh, the Reds, since playing the Brewers uh, in early June, have just not stopped winning. Now, a part of me could say that it's, a, it's slightly slightly Fugazi, right? They've swept the Royals. Well, I shouldn't say it's Fugazi. Actually, I should. They took two out of three from the Cardinals on the road, which I know the Cardinals are bad, but the, you know, Cardinals are a tough place to play. So they took two out of three from the Cardinals. They also swept the Astros. So I can't say it's Fugazi. 
<laughs> I, I can't do that. Uh, that's that's not allowed. So they've won 10 straight games. Uh, they're playing great baseball right now. And at some point, you know, it's going to, it's kind of going to even out. Uh, Water's going to find its level. But the Reds are playing really, really strong baseball right now. And we'll see if they can continue it up. They have Atlanta this weekend, which will be a great series. Actually, it gets really tough here for uh, the, the Reds in the next week, basically. They go, they have Colorado today, and then they have a day off, and then they're home against Atlanta then they go to Baltimore, then they go they go home to play San Diego, and then they go to Washington and then the Brewers uh, before ending the All-Star break. And I have said to a friend of the program, Mitch, I was like, hey, not friend of the program, but co-produced my co-host that his birthday is the 8th when the Brewers and, and Reds play. I'm like, I might have, have to do that for the birthday celebration, uh, given you know how big that series will be uh, to, end the, to end the first half. And what's crazy about the Brewers and Reds is so they play three games um, to end to end before the All Star break. So they played three games in Milwaukee, then to start the second half. And I just went to Cincinnati and would recommend going. It'll be really it'll be really hot, but uh, they are at home to play the Brewers again. So the Brewers and Reds play again on July the 14th, 15th, and 16th. So they play six straight times. So we are gonna know, you know, kind of where everything stands between the Brewers and Reds. And then to, they play again in late July in Milwaukee. And that is the last time the Brewers and Reds are gonna play. So it's kind of imperative for the Milwaukee Brewers to take care of business against the Reds coming up here. Um, it's, a, it's a big nine game stretch. We're gonna know a lot. And so we got a long way to go to that. You know, a lot can happen in the next two weeks. Baseball is a weird sport, right? Brewers could get red hot and all of a sudden the Brewers have won 10 straight or the Reds could stay hot or a major injury could happen. Like you just never know, right? Uh, because you're playing every damn day. I, I saw our guys from Divine Sports Gospel went to two back-to-back walk-off losses against the uh, San Francisco Giants. They're Padres fans. If you guys don't know Divine or don't follow them, and I just, my heart sank for them. And they were they were going through it on Twitter. They're like, all right, talk myself into it. And that's what you do. Like, even after Bruce got their asses kicked, I was like, all right, well, Colin Ray, let's see if we can figure it out and win this baseball game. And sure enough, they did. So that's nice. But yeah, Reds Brewers is going to be going to be a movie here in July. Uh, Todd Graves. I, I have beef with Todd Graves. So I've never had Raising Canes. I've heard it's great. Uh, just have never never made it out to Canes. I know there's going to be some here locally sooner rather than later, but I've never had it. Um, I'm looking forward to my first Canes experience. But Todd Graves owns Raising Canes. Uh, great guy for all accounts. Uh, definitely a guy that likes to be seen, uh, which I think there's a lot of CEOs who like to be seen. Todd Graves is an LSU fan. Uh, he started raising canes out of Louisiana. LSU is in the College World Series. I would say they're one of the favorites to get to the finals. I think LSU and Wake Forest are the two sort of big teams in terms of the College World Series. And for that said, they have a jello shot contest. And it's at this place called Rocco's. And basically, you you know you have a chart. And it's every team. So it's every team that's in the College World Series. And if you're unfamiliar with this, Todd Graves then bought 5,000 jello shots and basically gave LSU the jello shot record. To me, that kind of stinks. 
Like, I know that these jello shots, I think they're like five bucks. I think three go to the bar, two go to charity. And so that's a very philanthropic effort for Graves. We don't, I don't need to do the math on that. You guys can do that for me. But so a lot of that is going to charity. So that is good, right? But it ruins the contest. It's like swinging your big dick and being like, all right, here's now we're going to win this because I'm going to buy 5,000 because I can, because I own Raising Cane's. Like, fuck that. Like, to me, that that... That ruins the whole sort of experience of the Jello shot. Like it should be fan first, and you have this CEO coming in and basically ruining the whole Jello shot experience. Like he wanted to be part of the conversation so bad. So what did he do? He's like, why don't I just buy five thousand? Like I just I, I hate that. I fucking hate it. I really do. Again, seems like a great guy. My wife listened to like his How I Built This podcast. Like he seems like a great dude. But I just think that ruins the whole experience. I don't know. Maybe I'm an asshole about this. But I just, that's how I feel. All right, last thing. Aaron Rodgers is at a psychedelics conference here upcoming. Uh, He'll be there with uh, former governor of Texas, Rick Perry. He will also be there with, I think I saw somebody else. Oh, Jaden Smith, Will Smith's kid. Uh, on psych- so we're, we're talking psychedelics in Denver. Uh, fascinating stuff, man. Uh, I will look forward to seeing how the New York media asks Aaron Rodgers about a psychedelic conference. I, I also will look forward to the New York media asking Aaron Rodgers about Robert F. Kennedy's junior support. Uh, again, it's your problem now, uh, New York, and it's not ours. And while none of this stuff actually bothers me, it doesn't, right? But I think there is a part where you're just like, be fucking normal. Like, that's the the genesis of it all. It's like, just be normal. Just be a normal fucking guy so we don't have to worry about you going off and doing something like a psychedelics conference. So I guarantee you there are some text messages between Joe Douglas and Robert Salah where it's like, hey, do you know Rogers at a psychedelic conference? He's what? He's, yeah, he's talking about the joy of mushrooms, things like that. I don't know if the NFL tests for that stuff. I would assume they do. Maybe not. Uh, but yeah, uh, it, it'll be interesting to hear. That would, uh, talk about something that would blow up uh, locally. Like from a content perspective, I would love to Aaron Rodgers be like, yeah, I was high in mushrooms when we beat, so we beat the Bears in 2022. Like that would, talk about something that would just fly. Like that's just like, let me cook. Um, and, and yeah, uh, hopefully it's a win, not a loss. I don't think he would admit to being on psychedelics on a loss. I had a teammate who was drunk, uh, it, you know, on in a game, uh, before a game. It was in high school. And you could smell vodka on his breath uh, before the game. Like, just tried to get, you know, a little bit, you know, turked up for the game. Not necessarily what I would do personally. Uh, but, yeah, he ended up rushing for, like, 140 that game. Like, he was awesome in the game. So I was like, oh, I don't know. Uh, I guess, I guess you could have vodka before a football game and be, and be great. So, uh, anyways, uh, that's another story for another time. Uh, but we are wrapping up today's show. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, sorry, we were not here yesterday. I know I was talking about scheduling and I was like, oh yeah, maybe we won't do a Friday show. I totally forgot the draft was uh, Thursday. Oh, that was, that was a major Jimbo by your boy. I thought that for some reason, I always thought the draft was last week in, uh, in June, not, 
the Thursday right after the season's over. So know that we'll be better. So yeah, we'll have a show Friday. We'll have a show, another uh, solo show tomorrow. And then we will uh, ride out for the week. All right, guys, take care of yourself. Have a good Wednesday, longest day of the year. Enjoy it. We then turn back to the winter after today, which is very depressing. <laughs> uh, so I probably depressed you about your day. Uh, hopefully not. All right, take care. See you. Bye.